This is Inner Healing Paths podcast. Here we discuss the healing of the mind, body, soul, and spirit through a variety of different paths. We have emotional and spiritually minded conversations centering on ancestral healing, psychology, astrology, yoga, meditation, magic, and indigenous spiritual practices of the world. I am your host, Rosa Shetty, and I am so happy you are here. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Rosa. And for this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Britt Frank. She is a mental health therapist specializing in trauma healing. She recently wrote and released a book titled The Science of Stuck. So in our conversation, we talk about the inspiration for her book. We talk about healing from trauma and from her perspective, from her experience. How does this happen? We talk about internal family systems as a healing approach And she will share with you a tool, a strategy that you can start implementing in your life now to help you to start moving forward and start healing. Before we go into the actual episode, I do want to give an announcement. I mentioned it in the previous episode, uh, but if you didn't have a chance to catch it, I will be having once a month healing circle, which is going to be uh, a group of us that we're going to get, we're going to get together once a month. And we're going to just dive in deeper into our healing. We're going to talk about different topics for the month of May, which is going to be our first healing circle. Um, the topic will be on healing the mother wound. I want to be able to hold space for you all. I want to be able to just have uh, just healing conversations where we can not just talk, but also connect and heal in community. Uh, And I'm really, really excited to offer this to you all. Um, I I want to make sure that these healing circles are accessible to all of you. And I don't want money to be an issue. So check out the the link it's going to be in the show notes you can also go to my instagram and i will have a link in my bio if you want to learn a little bit more about this and the cost also feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions anything that came up as you listen to this episode or any other episode i love to get feedback and i love to to get a better sense as to how the message is resonating with you all If you know of anyone that you want to nominate to be on the episode or to be on the podcast for another episode, feel free to reach out to me, give me their name, their info, and I will be more than happy to follow up on that. And, you know, before we we go in, I do need to give a brief disclaimer that although myself and the, the guests for today were both mental health professionals, this podcast episode does not treat or diagnose any physical or mental health condition. This episode does not substitute for health care or mental health services of any kind. Guests have a right to share their opinion and perspective, and this does not constitute an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Britt Frank. Take a listen. Hi, Britt. Welcome to my podcast. 
Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, of course. It's such an honor to have you and so excited for your new book and excited to, to have you share with, with our listeners what you've been working on. Yeah, so before we get into that, uh, can you just introduce yourself and the healing work that you do just for those that are listening, they're not familiar with your work? Yes. So hi, everybody. I'm Britt Frank, and I am a trauma therapist, and I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, which is just a long way of saying I work with how trauma impacts our brains and our nervous systems and our bodies. And I'm also trained um, in internal family systems, which is a beautiful way of working with all of the different parts of our personality. Wonderful. And to start off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you found your calling, how you found this path, this healing work path? So I think calling is such an interesting word. I think anybody who has childhood trauma at some level feels compelled to find, right. To find their way to the healing arts in some capacity. Um, So I think that's something that we all have in common. Anytime I meet someone in the healing space, it's like, hi, I'm so sorry. Bad things happened to you as a child and me too. So (laughs) calling was not one I think I chose, (laughs) but through my own trauma healing, I found that doing this work on myself saved my life. And I wanted to spend my life helping other people learn what I learned so they wouldn't have to suffer in the same way or for as long. Yeah. And how long have you been in in the field or been working with, with folks again? I've been in my current position, my current private practice doing therapy for about 10 years now. Okay. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, in, I know you have a new book, so can you share with us a little bit about what your book is about and and what was the inspiration for that? So the book is called the science of stuck and it's about why we all get stuck. You don't need to have high level trauma to feel stuck. Everyone has an area. I don't care how high functioning they are or how successful everyone has something that renders them feeling stuck, feeling less than feeling like an imposter or whatever. And so really what this book was intended to be was a compilation of all of what I think are the best practices in trauma, best practices in cognitive therapy, best practices in all of these different things, because especially since the pandemic, who has the time or the inclination to read a billion self-help books. In my journey, I've read a bajillion self-help books. And so the book is really, hey, everybody, here's the topic, anxiety. Here's what I think the five most important resources are. Here are just the bottom lines. And here's just enough information so you can get moving. And then I snuck a few of my own theories in there, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And, you know, from from your, you know, your line of work and your experience, how I mean, how do people get stuck? I mean, what, 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 what happens that, that prevents people from moving forward in whatever capacity they're trying to heal or move from? 
Yeah. And I think there's really two main reasons why we get stuck assuming, and this is, I say this on every single thing I do, assuming you are in a safe environment, assuming, you know, if you're in, if you're overseas in Ukraine right now, what I'm going to say does not apply. So if you're in a domestically violent situation, what I'm about to say does not apply. So assuming that you are currently safe enough with your basic needs met, that's what we're talking about here. So that's my, I try to be really responsible. Yeah, no, so people don't feel like, well, I, I'm what's wrong with me. It's like nothing. You're not safe. That's why no, no work will work unless you're safe to a degree. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. Because it, it's so true. I mean, we, we, a lot of times we, we take it for granted, right. What we, you know, and for so many folks, um, just don't even have the ability to rely on these strategies because they just are not, like you said, they're just in terrible, terrible circumstances and they can't get out. Exactly. So that's my caveat. So with that all said, the two main reasons that we get stuck, number one, lack of accurate information. If you don't know that you need to charge your phone when the battery dies, you're going to think your phone is bad. You're going to think your phone is lazy. You're going to think your phone, it just stinks. And it's like, no, your phone's not bad. It's just out of juice. And there's a thing called a charger and you plug it in and it charges your phone. But if you don't have that information and your phone dies, you're just going to make up a story and the story that we all make up tends to view, you know, tends to skew towards the shame story. Well, if things are going wrong, it must be me. It must be my fault. So number one, we get stuck because we don't have accurate information about our brains and our bodies. So that's first. Second, we get stuck because we don't always tell the truth to ourselves about what's up. And no shame. I mean, I was a master at self-deception for many, many years, but it's so important to without a shame thing, without feeling like a terrible person, just to name certain things. There are some days where I am not a very productive human and I just name that. It's not that I'm lazy or unmotivated. It's just, I'm tired. And there are some days where I just don't have any bandwidth and I have no, I just have no, you know, desire to do anything. So let's get honest. And then when I was a drug addict, then it was, oh, I can quit when I want to. And, oh, it's this, no, it's that. So whatever the issues are, we need to really get honest with ourselves about what, not just with the bad stuff. A lot of people, um, let's, I'll use the creativity as an example. A lot of people who have really, really suppressed desires to paint or write or make music or dance or acts, they're not honest with themselves about that desire. So they smush it down. Then they end up in a career that they don't like, that they're miserable with, and they're not honest with themselves that, hey, I have this desire that I'm not being honest with myself about. So self-deception isn't always I'm lying to myself about something terrible. Sometimes it's I'm lying to myself about, I don't like this relationship or I don't like this job, or I really want to learn to sing in the afternoon. I don't want to volunteer at the PTA or whatever. So we need accurate information and we need to be honest. Mm, Yeah. And you mentioned a part there of just being, uh, bringing bringing more compassion to ourselves right by calling it what it is instead of labeling and naming it to just say you know i'm just not i don't just don't have the energy for that right now it's i think in in a way we're bringing more compassion to ourselves which is a huge part of of healing 
Sure. Well, I mean, I'm sure, you know, with your work, no one heals under a veil of shame. It doesn't happen. You can fake your way. You can white knuckle it. You can get a little bit of momentum, but nobody heals if they're under the weight of shame. It does not happen. So that's not a justification for bad behavior. It's not like, well, I should just be okay with all of my choices. Like, no, that's a little you know, that's okay. sociopathic. If you have apps, you know, if you do something to harm someone feeling guilt that you're making choices is fine, but guilt is I am doing things that are harmful. Shame is I am broken. I am bad. I don't deserve to take up space. So I have no problem with guilt. Guilt is great. Guilt means you're not a narcissist or a sociopath, but not shame. So self-compassion doesn't mean don't feel guilty. If you hurt someone, like, yeah, feel guilty if you hurt someone. Guilt is great. It's how we adjust our sales and course corrects, but not shame. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. Because I think so many people, uh, the, the, the shame and guilt are, are fused together and there is no boundary in that sense. But it, it, like you said, it's a, it's a huge boundary. There's a huge difference. And once we're able to get in touch with the shame feelings, I think is a good window into understanding you know, ourselves better and to start that, that process of inner exploration and, and healing, right? Because, because so many of us, like, you know, shame and guilt, it's just one, there is no insight into, into the boundaries of those. And so how, you know, awareness is the key, right? For healing. If we don't, so know, much. don't know, then how can yes. we possibly start that process of healing? Exactly. And I appreciate, you know, the, the, if there's a light side or an upside to shame, I appreciate that people want to take accountability and they want to take responsibility. I, I mean, the, the flip side of shame is having absolutely no empathy and no care. Like it's sociopathy. So if you feel shame, okay, that that's not a, a useful way of moving forward, but let's start with, you can take accountability without being buried in shame. And people don't realize that self-compassion is is not the same as self-justification. Having compassion doesn't mean you're co-signing on behavior. It just means you recognize you're making really bad choices that are hurting people, harming people, and you have the right to exist and you have the right to take up space and you have the right to heal and we can repair what we can and the things that we can't, we can find other ways to make amends and you do not need to be buried in shame to take accountability. Wow. That's, that's huge because, you know, I just feel like so many people feel that they, they don't have another option, right. But to just deal with the shame, deal with, with the constant. And, and yes, you do deal with the consequences of what you do when you don't know any better. Um, but you know, you, there are, like you said, there are certain things that you can make amends. There are certain things that you can shift or work on or grow, you know, that comes from that place of getting in touch with, with yourself, your feelings and, and, and the accountability, right. Saying, I'm sorry, or saying, you know, making amends with those that you've hurt, you know, along the way. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's where the, you know, the toxic positive thing comes from where oh, I am yeah. going to have just, for bringing that. <laughs> just self-compassion and I am love and light and compassion. I'm like, no, you're kind of acting like a jerk right now. So mm -hmm. that's fine, but like, let's deal with it. So the whole toxic positivity of I'm going to have so much self-compassion for myself that I'm not going to care that I'm hurting people. That's not really functional and it's not ideal and it's certainly not healthy. So we want a balance of accountability without 
again, without the shame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from from your experience, you know, how do you see healing happen? You know, how, how does it start happening for people? How do you see? I know healing from, you know, there's so many, that's why I call this podcast inner healing paths, because there are so many paths that lead to healing. But from, from your perspective, from the work that you do, um, how does healing begin to happen? You know, how, how do you, how, how would you describe that, those little shifts that, that start happening that point to that direction of healing? Sure. And I love how many different avenues to healing there are. So I've, I will never, nor have I said this, what, you know, my way is the only way or therapy is the only way there's endless ways to get to healing. And I am for whatever works that doesn't cause harm to other people, like do your thing, whatever it is. But I think, you know, regardless of what path you're on, if your brain, (coughs) excuse me, if your brain is perceiving threat in the environment. If your amygdala is constantly, imagine a smoke alarm in a house. If your smoke alarm is constantly getting tripped, you're not going to really be able to focus on remodeling the living room or painting the bedroom or cleaning the kitchen because that alarm is screeching. It's loud. It's disruptive. So first things first is turn the alarm off. And with our healing paths, we really have to start with We have an amygdala, we have an internal smoke alarm, so to speak. And if that smoke alarm is getting tripped every which way to Tuesday, there's not a whole lot that we can do until we quiet that down and establish your body, your physical body is safe. Now, logically, we know we're safe. You know, I could be sitting here talking to you. It's like, well, logically, I'm fine. I'm sitting in my kitchen. Like, what's the problem? But my brain automatically gets to decide if it feels safe or unsafe. I mean, you could remind my brain subconsciously of some girl in a middle school who said something mean to me, and I could all of a sudden be feeling anxious. None of that is conscious, or it could be the opposite. Could be you remind me of someone I loved, and I'm like, oh my God, you're so awesome. I don't know why I love you so much, or I don't know why I'm anxious. But our brains do their thing automatically. You can't logic your way into safety. So the very long-winded way to say the first order of business with any healing path is let your body learn the language of safety. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a lot of um, trauma survivors, you know, that, that is the, the very first, first step. Right. And, um, and I know that you, you know, with a lot of what you talk about in the work that you do is with trauma survivors, um, you know, what, what would you say is, um, the, you know, specifically for trauma survivors, what, what would you say is the, the, like the first thing that they can do if they're not with a therapist, they're not seeing a therapist, maybe they're just on their own kind of getting a sense of what's going on. What is one thing that they can do to kind of get started on, on, on their journey to, to start repairing this, the amygdala and the fight or flight response that kicks in? So I like them, you know, in somatic experiencing, they don't teach this model anymore, but the way they used to teach it was that if you think of all of the things that activate your system, that bring it up, those are the red things. And if you think of everything that sort of settles your system and brings it down are the blue things, we could all rattle off a list of 50 red things. We all know what stresses us out, what causes us to feel panic. But if I said to you, what are 15 of your blue things? Most people sort of, myself included, initially are like, ah, I don't don't know. If you're a dog person, which I am, my dog is, you know, people with dogs know your dog is a blue thing, but it's so important to, even if you have no resources and you're not sure where to start, 
there are blue things in your life. And this is not adjusting positive. This is, if you didn't have a blue thing, your nervous system would be, you wouldn't be alive. Like, you know, it's both. So if you can, let's start by making a list of for every red, what's a blue. We're not talking about ignoring the red stuff. That's important to name, but what are your resources? Let's take inventory. You know, like if you were, if you know, you ended up as a survivor, if you crash landed somewhere, the first thing you need to do is, okay, what's our, like, what are our supplies? Like, what's my inventory of people, places, and things that I have available to me right now? And then we go from there because it may be that you are so under-resourced that we really need to start with some basics. And it might be that you have more resources than you realized. So the blue stuff is really important to inventory. We can all inventory our red, but let's also inventory our blue. And then we know what's in our kit that we have, and then we can fill in the gaps from there. I, I love that. It's, it is a very um, black and white approach to, okay, realize, because someone, you know, what, what happens a lot of times is that we're so overwhelmed with what is being um, put out there too. Why are you with social media? There's so much information. There's so, so many books. There's so much out there that for someone that is getting started, it could be really overwhelming to just figure out where to begin, right? So I, I love that. It's literally like you can make a list, right? You can like, you know, just make a list of the, 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 the blue zone. Exactly. And if you're not sure you can, you know, especially since a lot of us get stuck procrastinating on the couch, pay attention to what content feels blue and what content feels red. So there are certain TV shows that feel very red. They're very activating to me. And if I'm in a bad mood or if I'm having like a human day of just meh, there are certain shows, there are certain online accounts, there are certain YouTube videos that I don't watch because I know they're red and they're going to make me feel crappy. So even if you do nothing else, pay attention to what media you're ingesting and what shows make you feel blue and what shows make you feel red and start by watching more of the blue stuff and less of the red stuff. That's a very easy, very easy to implement exercise. Thank you for that. You know, I love that strategy. And you know, what would you say is one of the uh, biggest misconceptions when it comes to trauma, when it comes to, to, you know, it, because again, there's so much out there, so much information, but you know, from, from your experience, um, what would you say is one of those biggest uh, things we get wrong about trauma survivors? So I think the biggest misconception about trauma is that only some people have it and that there are people with trauma and people without trauma. Now we don't all have it to the same degree, obviously. However, trauma is part of the human experience. You know, the definition of trauma is anything that overwhelms our brain, anything that overwhelms our brain. Obviously, if you are assaulted, that's going to likely create some trauma, but it could be a minor fender bender. It could be someone cuts you off on the road. And like, for whatever reason, that just spins you out. I'm not saying that we're all walking wounded. Like, oh my God, my trauma, you know, that's like, however, trauma is something we all experience to a degree. So let's take out this this and you know us and them thing. There's not a us and them with trauma. We all have it. We've all had it. We'll all experience it. And so comparing is also not helpful with trauma. Well, it wasn't that bad. Well, 
Absolutely. By that logic, nobody gets to be upset about their stuff because someone somewhere can, you can amplify and make anything worse. So the person, you know, having perspective that, Hey, what happened to me was terrible and I have resources and I have privilege and I have access to things is great. But perspective just means I can see the full game comparison is they had it worse. Therefore I don't have a right to feel bad. And so taking out this trauma comparison thing and the other misconception about trauma is that it's a permanent state. So to the degree that you have resources is the degree that you can heal. doesn't mean you get over the bad things, but you know, trauma as an defined as an overwhelmed brain that can heal. Your brain doesn't have to be an overwhelm. Yeah. And you know, one of the reasons, and that's, what you said there is one of the reasons why I do this, you know, this work and this podcast is because I firmly believe that, you know, there is hope regardless of what has happened to you, regardless of what you've gone through and, you know, what you um, have are, are carrying on from your parents or your previous generations, healing is accessible. Healing can happen. Just like you said, just our brain in and of itself changes, right? Through therapy, through different, you know, different things, we can actually change, you know, the, uh, our brain, you know, which is amazing. Um, And we can change our our habits, right? So So we're constantly changing, which when we set the intention for healing, that change is what brings the, the healing forward. So, so absolutely. That's a message that I deeply resonate with. And I don't think, I think so many survivors really don't think there's any hope for them. And I tell clients, like, you don't have to trust me. And this isn't, you it's not even hope, you know, like you don't even need to put hope and faith. I mean, hope is I'm trusting that a thing that I can't see might happen. But the, like we know from neuroplasticity, the brain changes. You don't actually have to hope that things can change. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a biological reality. Our brains make neural pathways and those pathways are not set in stone and you can change them. So this isn't a faith thing. This is a science thing, which is really good news. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so that, I feel like that's the message that, um, you know, I want to emphasize here, you know, that that there, you're, 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 as long as you're alive, there is, there's, there is the, the possibility for healing. There is that hope for change because it's beyond us, right. It's beyond even our intention to, you know, it's, it's just, we're wired that way. right? That's just how we, our composition is, which is, um, you know, one of the things that I'm so fascinated with this is why I love trauma work is because you get to see some of that, that you see some of that in the therapy room, right. You, you get to see how by implementing certain changes, um, certain habits or working on certain habits or changing the way you think about yourself can actually change your brain. Right. Um, but it's not all about thinking your way through trauma. Right. And, and that's the, the next, um, topic that I want to talk to you about is, um, you know, so many people think that, um, just talking about their trauma or, um, just reading about it in a very cognitive way that that's enough, you know? Um, and, so can you tell us a little bit more in terms of why just talking about the trauma or just thinking about the trauma is not enough to, to begin that healing process? Sure. And I think we've all experienced the telling of a, a bad story over and over and over again. It's like, you can tell your trauma story a hundred times and never feel better. 
with the caveat that our stories do need to be witnessed. So if you have a trauma story and no one has seen it or heard it, and you've never shared it with anyone, having a skillful, compassionate witness, that's important. So I'm certainly not here saying you, you shouldn't tell your story, like, but if there's we're telling our story, story, there's a time and a place for yes. telling your story. Yeah. To have exactly some, like, the word witness. And I, and I feel like that is, um, such a, it's a, it's a, it's a way to, we, we hear it a lot, but really what it is, is that we, as we reshare, retell our story, we literally are not alone in that sharing of the story. And that talking about, you know, the, the, the way that our brain heals, that is healing for our brain, right? To feel as we're sharing with a compassionate person that, that gets it, that gets us in a very deep way that is healing for our brain and it's something so there's a place and a time for that but just sharing just talking about it right that's what we're that's what we're that's what you're describing here yes yeah so it's both we need to share our story in safe places in safe ways with safe people And we also have another area of our brain that's not logical, that's not cognitive, that's not analytical. And that part of our brain doesn't speak the language of words and ideas. That part of our brain speaks the language of body sensations and movements and feeling and imagery. And so we need to work both cognitively with our thoughts and our stories and somatically with our bodies and the language of the brain, the safety language of the brain is sensation and movement primarily. When it comes to, I know you, you, you mentioned earlier that you do internal family systems, parts work. And what I like about that theory approach is that it, it incorporates both, right, to a certain extent. Um, so do you mind sharing a little bit more in terms of how parts work and connecting with the parts within us? How, how is that helpful? And it could, because again, there's a lot of information out there, right? And a lot of folks may be, um, you know, there's a very simplistic way sometimes that to present this, this uh, parts work model, or some people feel like, I don't want to, you know, I, I need to get rid of my parts and negative ones, you know, so do you mind explaining a little bit about how that works and why all parts are welcome? Yeah. And honestly, the movie Inside Out, Pixar's Inside Out was every parts work therapist or practitioner, I'm sure was cheering and standing and clapping because that was the perfect representation. I mean, it's not exactly the same. It's not like we have these little (laughs) feelings balls in our brains, but this idea that, you know, in that movie, sadness saved the day, all of the other parts were trying to get rid of sadness because she was a bummer. And in the end, sadness showed that we need all of our feelings. And so the parts, well, I'll start by defining what the parts model is. So every, every complex thing is made of multiple parts, right? Like our bodies are arms and legs and organs and cells and tissues. And so, you know, your car is wheels and there's an engine and there's doors and there's windows somewhere. We all got taught that our personality is just one thing. Like there's just this I, and you're either good or you're bad or you're nice or you're mean. And our personality is very complex and it's made of multiple parts. And we've all had the experience of thinking part of me knows I should 
go to the gym, but there's this other part of me that just wants to lay on my couch. Like that's not a metaphor. Those are, there are parts of our personalities and they all have their own feelings and their own thoughts and their own stories. And people, you know, some people have heard of inner child work and the inner child is certainly an example of a part, but every age that we've ever been is stored in our body. So we have inner teenagers and inner every age that we've ever been is going to be part of how our personality is set up. So the parts perspective isn't a disorder. It's not like, oh my gosh, what you're saying that I have and multiple personality disorder is no longer a thing. Like it's not called that anymore, but you know, people are like, oh my God, what's wrong with me that I have these parts of me that think these horrible thoughts we all do, you know, within our psyche, we have really nice parts that want to help and be good people. And then we have these shadowy parts that don't necessarily, there are no bad parts, but some of our parts don't have the most optimal, healthy way of meeting their needs. And so it needs to be okay that, and I'm not a parent, but I work with a lot of parents who feel so much shame because part of them sometimes sort of longs for the pre-parenting days, you know, like, oh my God, I'm a terrible mother. I'm a terrible father because there's, because I feel resentful towards my kids sometimes. And from the parts perspective, it's okay. Can it be okay that of the infinite parts of your personality, there's one that doesn't super like this parenting thing. Like that's like one leaf on a giant tree is not digging what you're doing. That doesn't make you a bad tree or a bad parent. It's such a compassionate way of looking at how we're constructed because there's room for everything without anything being the defining thing. Oh, I love that. It's so beautiful. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like focusing, uh, we, we tend to focus on that one thing, right? We, we focus on the negative and discount everything else, which is a tendency that many of us have, right? But with this approach, it's like you're we are, it's almost like you're bringing so much compassion to this one part, right? And, 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 we, and you know what, I do want to say that um, for those listening is, you know, I've done IFS um, as uh, on the other side, you know, as a client. And I'm going to say it's one of the, for me, it has been one of the most beautiful experiences because it's been so, um, I've noticed, you know, at, at certain points in my life, I noticed that um, when I started doing the EFS, IFS work, sorry, IFS work, I've had so much healing that happened just because as you know, you're going through that process, you're understanding your, you know, your parts, AKA yourself, right. In such a deep way, because you see those parts within you as they are right with, with so much love and compassion. So if you do connect with a younger part, a teenager, you know, you, you're not just um, you, you have the awareness to connect with that part as you would, you know, a teenager, as you would connect with a, with a child, a little child, right? Exactly. And again, that doesn't mean we let our parts run amok, just like you as a compassionate parent, you wouldn't let a toddler just do whatever they wanted, you know, with our inner society of different parts. Some of my parts want to do bad things. Sometimes some of my parts are like, wow, it'd be really fun to go do drugs. That doesn't mean I let them do that, but it does mean you parent these parts of yourself with the same skill and compassion that you would parent a child's. So you, you know, a skillful parent would never yell at and shame a child for saying, I'm really mad at my brother. And sometimes I just want to hit him. A skillful and compassionate parent would help 
guide that child through the process and validate and help them develop skills and strategies and tools so that hitting is not their only option. And it's really helpful to know that Again, self-compassion and parts work does not mean everything is okay. It just means we reframe how we're looking at it. It's a relationship between yourself and your parts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's also very empowering, right? Because to know you, you, you realize you get the insight and you, the realization that you do have a choice that these, these parts that just want to do what they want to do, regardless of the consequences that, that you, there's actually a part also that can gently redirect and reframe and you are more in control than what we sometimes feel that we are. We do have more options or choices, right? Then we may feel once we have that awareness that, hey, I can actually talk to this part, this younger part that just wants to take over right now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, such a beautiful, such a beautiful and healing approach. I, I I love that, and you know, as a as a therapist, I love using that um, as parts work, and it's so relatable. I think most people just intuitively get it, right? Because even in their language that we use day to day, we talk like that. You know, we refer to there's a part of me that feels, you know, da da da, da. and so it's already so much part of what of how we operate. Exactly. We're just giving more information. Going back to what we said at the beginning, we get stuck because we don't know that we have parts of our personalities. And some of those parts have curious, interesting sideways thoughts and notions. And it's okay that that's there. There are no bad parts. There are bad choices. There are bad behaviors, but there are no bad parts. And so if you don't know that you're made of parts, you're going to feel really just disoriented. You're going to feel really overwhelmed when you have conflicting thoughts in your head. It's like, what's wrong with me? That part of me wants to do this, but part of me wants to do that. Nothing's wrong with you. You're made of parts. Of course, they're going to have competing agendas. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope for the folks listening that they, you know, that you, you, you know, do, of course, do more research on this. There's a lot of books, right? There's a lot of self-help books on this, but um, I, I think your, your book, um, I, I have your, your book and I, it's kind of intertwined this concept throughout the book, which is, which, which I love. And it's almost like your, your book is, um, you know, you described that at the beginning, but it really is like, there's a lot of information, but it's, it's synthesized in a way that makes sense. It's easy to understand. And you don't, each chapter is almost like a different book, you know, but it's because it's, 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 it's so clear to, it's so clearly written you you don't need all these books you know it's almost like you can just um if you want to talk about like you know i don't know if you want to know about anxiety and the role that it plays like that's it there's a chapter on that you know so it's i i really really appreciate it and i think um, so many folks on their on this path are going to really benefit from the the just the information that is just put together in this book in such a concise way. So you don't end up buying so many books because there's so much out there. I, I know I get overwhelmed and this is what I do for a living. You know, I, <laughs> I, I work as a trauma therapist and I get overwhelmed with, with everything that's out there. So thank you for putting that out for, for the world. 
Thank you. And you know, the deep dive stuff has its place too. So in the book, I have footnotes, I have a resource list. So if you want to go down the rabbit hole of self-discovery and all the research that's there, but the book is really a conversational style. It's an easy read. It's just as I made it the stuff as simple to understand as possible. Cause I know when I'm overwhelmed, I'm not going to sit down and read 300 pages of a thing. I might read 10, but I'm not reading an entire volume of books on a topic. I just want to know enough to get going. Yeah. Like how to, right. Mm-hmm. Just tell me how to, you know, it's almost like when you're so overwhelmed, you just need one step, you know, one step at a time, yes. two or three things that you, you can start with. And so I really appreciate that. And I'm going to be recommending to so many of my, my clients. And if you're listening, check out her book, the, the science of stuff. Yeah. So Thank you so much, Britt. And thank you for sharing so much wisdom with us. You you gave us so much information that with everything that you talked about, any of these points, like you said, if, if folks out there want to explore a little bit more, they can go many different directions with what you shared here. And that strategy that you mentioned earlier, the red and blue zone, I mean, that is that is so wonderful. And if you're listening and you don't know where to begin, begin with that. Thank you so much. And thank you for your work too. Oh, thank you. Yes. And I would love to have you again sometime. Anytime. This is fun. This conversation. (laughs) Bye, Brit. Take care. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you found it healing and nourishing to your mind and soul. If there's a friend that you think would benefit from listening to this information, please share it. Share about our podcast. If you feel called to, please leave us a review as this really, really helps boost our presence here in Apple Podcasts and it makes it easier for others to find us to stay up to date on new episode releases and special events and projects that I'm working on. You can follow us on Instagram at Inner Healing Paths Podcast, and you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to my website, which is rosachettilcsw.com. And I will include this information and links in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again next time.